Welcome to Raw and Real. I'm Megan Casey Loftus. And I'm Samantha Jenkins. Working in the fashion industry can often seem materialistic and shallow. On Raw and Real, we shut down those stereotypes and dive into the discussion surrounding job opportunities, both creative and business within the fashion world. There are so many unknown aspects to the fashion industry and the entrepreneurial world that we will uncover through interviewing fashion industry leaders, serial entrepreneurs, and girls just like us. On this episode of Raw and Real, Sam and I interview Meryl Petrie. Meryl is a graduate of Indiana University with her Bachelor of Science in Fashion Design and Merchandising. Meryl launched her anything but typical career in fashion working in wholesale at Michael Kors. Interning for Modern Luxury and Tibby along the way taught Meryl the basics of communication and operation in the fashion industry. All of these experiences helped Meryl land her dream job at Christian Louboutin, where she worked in public relations for almost two years. But at brunch with her friends one day, how one text message changed the trajectory of her career to the beverage industry, and how Meryl Petrie is the Vice President of Communications at Iris Nova at the young age of 28. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name's Meryl. I live in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn right now. I work for a startup beverage company called Iris Nova. And I've been living in New York for six years now, which is wild. And yeah, my whole background is mostly in PR communications, but I got my start really with fashion and design. And so you studied at Indiana University, correct? So yeah, I did. What did you study there? And then what was your first year out of college like and moving to New York, that whole transition? I grew up in suburbs outside of Chicago. And actually, when I was choosing schools, I was between coming to NYU and actually going to Austin, Texas. Indiana wasn't even in the picture. But I came to New York and was just, I think, not ready for it yet. Still felt very just young and growing up in the suburbs is very sheltered. So it was kind of a shock when I came to New York for the first time. But I really wanted to go into fashion because I think at the time, I just kind of conflated fashion with creativity. So I was looking for a program or a university that had a fashion program. And Surprisingly, I kind of made a last minute decision to go to IU and they were launching their first fashion design program my freshman year. So I signed on to do that. And it was really interesting because it was their first time really getting the program, but it's grown a lot, um, which is cool to see. What types of classes were you in in this program? It was a mix. So it was a dual program, fashion design and fashion merchandising. So I was doing some classes where in the Midwest, fashion programs tend to always be around buying and merchandising. Um, So I was learning that stuff. And then I and I honestly was really not engaged in that was, you know, those were the classes that I didn't really like going to. But in my design classes, I was learning, you know, sewing and technique and draping and pattern making and all of these things that 
I had dabbled with in high school and kind of played around with, but never had technical experience. Um, so it just made, it made fashion seem much more real when I could see all these things that I loved and then be able to analytically look at it and be like, oh, I actually know how to construct that, which really clicked for me. So after finishing college and moving to New York, what was your first position that you got in New York and how did your kind of career start off in the fashion industry? Yeah, I mean, I came here and I really had zero connections. I went my the summer between junior and senior year, I interned here for a brand called Victor and Rolf doing mostly wholesale, but it was a smaller company in the sense that they needed help with everything. So I got to see aspects of PR, I got to see aspects of buying. And that was a really cool experience. And then when I was looking for something more full time, being back in Indiana made it really challenging to apply for jobs that were less conventional. So a lot of recruiting happens in Indiana for the Macy's and those type of bigger companies. So I actually ended up interviewing with Michael Kors for a wholesale position that I took, even though I know I didn't want to really get into that realm of the fashion world, but I was like, it's my ticket to New York. So I took the job. It was really intertwined with the department stores. So I was working still five days a week, but a lot of days on weekends too. So when I got there, I was like, all right, I know I'm going to do this job. I'm going, you know, to put my all on it, but I need something more. So I started interning for modern luxury on the side so that I could get some of that editorial experience. And then that eventually turned into something more stable. That was more of like a freelance thing to start. So I was offered enough days to work there that I left my original job jumped into that and then picked up another internship with Tibby, which was really cool because it was such a small brand at the time. So I got to see both the editorial side and the brand side and kind of having no experience and having it be, it was a different time then, like social media just wasn't as big. So I wanted to try a bunch of different things to figure out what I actually wanted to do. And at this point, are you 24? 22. 22. Okay. I came here right after I graduated. I think like the month after. Okay. So you worked at Michael Kors for not a full year. (laughs) Not very long. Okay. No. I I think it's important to note that even if you, you know, you got a job offer and a position that you, you were like, this is not maybe what I want to do forever, but it got you in the door and you gained connections that way. I think that's really important to note because I think some people sometimes turn down offers if it's not the exact job they want to do. And I think it is important to like keep your options open in a sense, especially when you're young and you were 22 and you moved to New York with like not a lot of connections. So yeah. And I think, I mean, I remember going through that process and both of my roommates at the time worked for Macy's and they had very, you know, we're on a very stable path and I was very antsy in what I was doing and didn't want to do that similar route. And I remember so many people in my ear, including family members and friends being like, you have to stay for a year. You just have to put your head down and do this job for a year. And then you can think about leaving. And I was like, why would I do that? Right. You know, like I, (laughs) 
I, I can still do the job well when I'm in it. And I've never been in a job and done it half-assed, but I think I, I saw the opportunity and I was like, if this isn't what I'm meant to be doing, then I don't think I need to stay a year just to hit some magical number. Along the same lines, I think a lot of people think once they start working in fashion or in sports or in the music industry, which are very uh, specific industries, skill-wise, they feel like they've pigeonholed themselves like into this career. What would you mm-hmm. say to someone who's nervous to take the leap as you did from fashion to beverage industry or entertainment? I think my path was definitely unexpected because so from the editorial world, I worked at Louboutin for a while and that was in all senses a dream job, you know, working for a luxury French house. And um, it comes with a lot of, you know, perceived glamour and perks. And it was a great experience. But I remember, you know, a couple years in, I saw all of these direct-to-consumer brands popping up. And I was like, wow, I love I love the idea of working for someone or somewhere that, you know, I can move up the ladder really quickly and make an impact more quickly than somewhere that, you know, might take a couple years or follow a promotion cycle that just didn't really jive with my sense of ambition. So I saw these brands popping up and I remember specifically outdoor voices and being like, oh, this is you know, it still feels fashion aligned, but it's not typical fashion. So I started looking into a lot of those brands and smaller brands and ready for the next phase. I was at sitting at Ludlow House with a couple friends. So I ordered Dirty Lemon, which was on the menu. It was like, it has charcoal in it. I was very much into the all the health trends popping up. So I was like, all right, this seems my speed. And then I saw a number on the back of the bottle, it said, if you want more, text us. So my friend who was having a drink were, they were like, oh, let's text them. I was like, let's, you know, let's not harass the brand today. And they're like, no, text them. So they text and just say more. And someone responds, which I now know is obviously just a person because I manage that whole team. And I was like, say a job. And so they were like, what do you want? And I said, a job. And they were like, what's your background? I was like, I would do PR for Christian Louboutin. They're like, all right, send us an email. So I sent them an email and the CEO of the company responded to me and we met and just talked for, it was a long, like, it was definitely a long interview process. And now I can recognize why, because, you know, working at a startup, there's so much going on. Um, But having more corporate experience, I was like, there's no way this is going to work out. You know, it's taking so long, but fast forward. And I started, when was that? February, 2018. Um, so I've been there for about two and a half years now. That story. I never knew that. That is the craziest story I think I've ever heard of someone getting. That's amazing, but it's also so on brand. For dirty yeah, lemon. it is. It's like perfectly on brand. It's so funny because people, when I don't have the time to explain it, people are like, oh, how'd you get the job? And I was like, I was like, you know, a friend put us in touch because I'm like, well, do you have the five minutes for me to actually tell you how wild the story is? Because I'll tell you, but most people are like, just asking to be polite, you know? Yeah. And 
For our listeners that might not be familiar with Dirty Lemon, do you want to give a yeah. brief background on the brand and yeah. you know, what it is? Dirty Lemon is um, a direct-to-consumer beverage brand focused on ingredients found in the naturopathic space. So all of them start with water and lemon juice, ocean minerals, and sea salt. And then we add different flavors and functions based on the drinks. So the activated charcoal one was the first one, and it was, you know— a brand in a bottle designed for Instagram at the time. If you shook up the bottle, the water was black. The bottle really stands out with the stripes in a photo. It was very much created for the social moment that was happening. And then since then, we've expanded to nine different flavors. And then in December of 2019, actually, which was really cool to be exposed to, I kind of came into the brand being like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, Wellness isn't that different than fashion. I'm still doing PR, all of it kind of, you know, there's a lot of parallels there. But then I got into the company and I think like two months into it, my boss was like, all right, so we just acquired a um, tech company. And I'm like, what? I was like, what's, you know, this is like way more than just a beverage brand. Every, the whole process of ordering our products is through text message, which we built out. Um, So we own that whole tech space. So at the end of December 2018, we expanded into a parent company, Iris Nova. So that includes our brand Dirty Lemon and now seven other portfolio brands that we act as a distributor for. What would you describe the type of customer drinking your products to be? Um, So I think, I mean, our bigger vision with Iris Nova is to build this platform of brands that are really focused on better for you options. So we want to replace the high sugar, high calorie beverages of the past and offer the consumer, you know, beverages that are more in line with their lifestyles. So that, you know, dirty lemon are all made with one gram of sugar. Um, Most, I think all of the brands that come onto our portfolio, we have you know, a couple standards of there can't be any added sugar, there can't be any preservatives, there can't be any of these ingredients that have been very common in the beverage space and really are detrimental to health. So it definitely has that health focus, but I think every brand kind of complements a different consumer. Like Dirty Lemon's voice is very like kitschy, it's different, it's funny, it's sarcastic. It's also a very high price point. So in itself makes it not mass market. So our goal with Iris Nova is like, okay, how can we bring on all these beverages at different price points and perspectives so that we can bring this core value of, you know, replacing the beverages that could hurt your health with beverages that can help your health. So that's kind of what we're in the process and doing now. What does it mean to be vice president of communications? It means that I have my hands in a lot of things. Um, I would say, I mean, so I started, like I said, I was a PR manager and that was my whole background was PR. But I think as you guys know too, like the atmosphere now is so different. You know, you can't just do PR or have a different team doing social than doing PR. It's so interconnected. And it really just means you know, in all aspects of the company. It's how am I creating messaging um, that explains what we're doing in a digestible way. So when you think of communicating, it's 
literally touches every aspect of the company. But I, my focus is definitely on the more, uh, for Dirty Lemon at least, around social and emails, press, all of that. And then for the parent company, it's really, you know, strategic planning and positioning. And then with all of our portfolio brands, it's acting more in like a consultancy standpoint of how can I, you guys already have your plans. How can I help you optimize that? What would you say your biggest professional accomplishment is so far? No, it's a really interesting question. I think that if you had asked me this like a couple years into my career or even a few years ago, I would have picked something more outwardly showy, something like, oh, you know, Beyonce wearing Louboutins when I was working there or getting a Forbes profile in Iris Nova. And those things are really exciting. But I think that the more, the longer that I'm in my role and I think evolving as a person too, I find the most feelings of accomplishment when I'm using my position or any kind of pull I have to really put someone on and to give other people opportunity to do what they do best. And I think that's what I really love about a communications role is like, I, I'm not expected to do it all, but I'm expected to find the best people to do what they do the best. And that's exciting to me of knowing, you know, we're, we're still a very small company, even if we don't seem it to the world and every opportunity I can take to say, okay, how can I, you know, elevate this person by working with us? Um, That always makes me feel accomplished. Well, I think you've done an incredible job on your Instagram too throughout. (laughs) I mean, you have always had a bomb Instagram, but it's been very targeted in the Black Lives Matter movement. And Meryl, she raised (laughs) a lot of money for Glitz, the Black Trans Lives Matter organization. Can you talk a little bit about that? After George Floyd's death, I had a lot of people reaching out to me. And I mean, Megan, like she said, we were neighbors. We grew up in a very predominantly white community. And um, a lot of people that follow me, I knew were from that atmosphere. And I'm so grateful for living in New York and being exposed to different people and cultures. And so I'm empathetic to, you know, people that don't have that experience. So I wanted to use, and I'm not a very personally active social media user, um, but I knew that I have was getting outreach from friends or distant people that I hadn't talked to in a while, just sending me texts, asking me questions. And I wanted to use my platform, even though it's small by (laughs) every judgment of Instagram. But I knew that if people would listen to me that how can I help others either change their perspective or move them into action. And when I say others, I mean, white people, that was really a focus of again, like, how can I use my skills of communicating to to really help drive other people to take action. So that was what kind of sparked me wanting to be more vocal on social. And then with raising money, I think it was, again, having traction of getting a lot of feedback from social. I started having like a weekly conversation with a group of people just taking in different resources, whether it's a podcast or a documentary, and then letting it be a space to discuss race openly. 
when I was doing that, I was asking people to donate five or $10 every week just Mm -hmm. to keep people in the headspace of like, okay, how do you donate beyond just a one-time donation? And people were doing it. So I tagged Glitz because I went to the protest for Black Trans Lives in Prospect Park. And someone got back to me and was like, oh, do you want to fundraise? I was like, yeah, for sure. So I put it out to my network and was able to raise a good amount of money in, you know, not very much time, which really inspired me to think like, oh, if I if I have the access to people that can give money, maybe they aren't able to give time or whatever else. But how can I use the connections I have um, to raise money for good causes. So that was the first and I want to definitely keep that going too. Even with you're saying like a small following, you've mm-hmm. raised so much money, given so many educational resources to people. And I think that's exactly how we should be using social media. Yeah. So, And I think some people say, oh, well, I don't have a big following, so I'm not going to make much of a difference. But you literally just proved that. Yeah, I do. And I think it is very, it's, It just shows that I think you can make such a bigger impact with the people you interact with more closely, too. You can connect really easily and make impact with people that you've been close to. And you don't need to do that um, on a macro scale always. Like any any conversation is beneficial. So that's kind of been my approach is like better to have three people show up on a Zoom meeting every week and have those three people tell three people who tell three people. That's, I think, how we can collectively like heal each other. What is the best piece of advice that you've received, either career-wise or personal-wise? Yeah, um, I think career-wise, but honestly, this fully goes into personal because I've made so many friends this way as well. Um, my first boss at Louboutin, who is just an incredible human. She, I remember my first week, she pulled me in and she was like, she said to me, um, cause my role there predominantly was emailing with either stylist assistants or editorial assistants, um, and coordinating right. deliveries, um, for that. So she was like, make sure, like make sure that you build like a peer, peer relationship. She's like, mentorship is, you know, kind of a buzzword in the sense that people say they have a mentor, they want a mentor. And she's like, but mentors can be your peers and build those relationships on a peer level. And don't try to chase, you know, a relationship that is maybe outside of um, your space, because you're going to grow together. And that's something that was so major to hear, because I think in fashion, especially at the time when I was starting there is well, was, I won't say is, but there is a very unhealthy sense of hierarchy where everyone was trying to, you know, impress someone above them to try to um, climb the ladder. And her perspective of saying, you know, don't, don't buy into that noise, don't get distracted, build relationships with people that are on the same path as you and you guys will grow and impact each other. And that's something that you know, some of my closest friends now came from those relationships. And some people that I've worked with in my current role have come with, oh, well, we, you know, used to email each other, like, all the time when I was at this place, and you were at that place. And now you're a fashion director here, what have you. Um, So that's been 
great advice. Yeah. My boss actually gave me the exact grow professionally, but on a peer level, like as a sales coordinator, I should be talking with like the PR assistants, the assistant buyers, the sample coordinators and be their friend because as you all Mm -hmm. move up together, it'll make those relationships so much stronger. So I think I agree. I think that's great advice. But I mean, I think relationships are everything and it's any time that I've regretted an action or benefited from something really great. It's all come from a relationship. So whether that's, you know, getting a new job or hitting an accomplishment or being in a situation that I got myself into that isn't as positive, I think it all boils down to relationships and how you treat people. Um, And that's something that always like definitely stays very top of mind for me. Hold on. Before the final part of our episode, a quick word from our sponsor. We're going to kind of wrap things up and end on some fun, quick questions. So we we have two good ones. Favorite investment piece in your closet and your favorite beverage? Um, Investment piece in my closet, I would say, I mean, I have these Louboutin over-the-knee boots that I love, but since I didn't pay for them, I feel like that's not fair as an investment piece. I feel like that's Um, a story for life. (laughs) But I have this, oh no, this, I have these pair of platform chunky Prada sandals that have like a cross strap and fur, which I don't even really agree with fur, but they were so good (laughs) um, that I bought on sale at Barney's when I think I was you know, a year into New York and I was making zero dollars. Um, and I scrapped together. Like I remember literally spending $30 on groceries for months at a time because I was like, I need these shoes. And to this day, I love them. And they're very, they're polarizing. The haters will say they're ugly, but I will love them forever. They're probably they're great. They're probably so major. They're great. Okay, favorite beverage? Oh, this is a loaded question. Uh, Honestly, I drink so much water that to say that I love water is an understatement. Um, But a flavored beverage, I, for Dirty Lemon, collagen's my favorite because it's a little spicy. It tastes like spicy lemonade, but not sweetened. And lately I've been really into, we just brought this brand on called Something and Nothing, which the branding's incredible and it's sparkling water with real fruit and herbs. And they have one that's hibiscus and rose. That's so, so good for summer. Thank you so much, Meryl, for coming on Raw and Real. And if our listeners want to follow you, where can they find you on Instagram? Or your um, it's just Meryl Patry, M-E-R-E-L-P-E-T-R-I. Thanks for listening to this episode. To keep up with what's happening on our podcast, follow Raw and Real NYC on Instagram. We post inspo and love showing you what's going on in our lives. Till next time, keep it real.